0: yak babies sex presidents and sometimes books
1: welcome to yak babies podcast on the internet sponsored by the bible for firemen on the seventh day god said let there be lighters my name is aaron here my personal pals dave hi boys we have brick hello gentlemen and of course from old ireland we have old irish nico hello boys Yes. Hello to all of you boys. This topic has been kind of in the works for a while. We've called it the mysticism episode for a long time, but I'm not sure it's actually what it's about. Brick, can you unpack this one for us?
2: I could try. I can't remember what we were talking about, but there was, gosh, probably two seasons ago, there was a couple times when we talked about writers specifically, but also artists kind of tapping into something in order to make a masterpiece, right? And... I think I'm the only one that maybe felt that was an appropriate way to describe it. <laughs> so the question is, what is the thing that separates an artist that makes a masterpiece, whether it's a whether it's a, a great novel or whatever, from someone else that writes a really good book but it's not quite there? And is it hard work and diligence? Is it just the perfect luck of their life experience landing at the right moment, at the right time, with the right words uh, through a lifetime of craft? Or you know, is there you know the the, uh, the other kind of sister episode to this was talking about the tortured writer and the writer is the alcoholic. Right. Right. And there's, there's long been this myth that like the best writers come from, from an altered space, right. Where they, they need to sort of be tortured either chemically or, or psychologically in order to get this thing out of them, this novel that's inside them that needs to be somehow released onto the page. Right. And is that just a load of hooey? Right.
0: Yeah. Like that classic line about, um, Something like writing is easy, you just open up a vein and you bleed, yeah, that kind of thing. But didn't you two have you, Brick and Aaron? You had an argument on air, I think, right? About and I think, Brick, you were using choice as
2: a yeah, I don't, I, I'm trying to remember what it, was. it wasn't really an argument, but it was just, um, yeah, it wasn't an right agreement, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just it was short,
1: but it was, I can't remember what the context was, and that's why we should, I, I recall that it was about. I think like a, a notion of like, like was Joyce destined to write this text? Like, was this like,
0: yeah, yep. You're right. Exactly. Sort of like, mm-hmm.
1: Was this a kind of like a confluence of events that sort of led this thing that was inevitable or is what we consider to be like genius or like artistic excellence, accidental and like the cir- circumstance of, of time and practice and the subjective nature of like being a reader. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I kind of found myself more on the it's all circumstances mm-hmm. and that the genius is hard to define that way. And I think it even maybe calls into question what we mean by masterpiece, too. Like, we talk about sort of text that we would consider a masterpiece. Like, if we're, if we're using Ulysses as an example here, how long does that book have to be celebrated to be considered a masterpiece and by whom, mm-hmm. right? So, that's maybe kind of maybe one of the starting points there is like, what do we, what falls in this category for us?
2: I don't think it's a question of is there some metaphysical stream of art that people just like tap into, like some kind of like the speed load, force, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I don't think you can, I don't think you can train to be a genius. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't, there there's James Joyce is the only person that could have written Ulysses. Right. No one else could have. Right. And, and that's what I mean. Not that there was like some predestined work that it was his, like his life led to him like doing that. It's the other way around. Right. Where like, because his life took him away, it was able to, you know, he was he had a genius for that thing and his life allowed him to be able to create that work. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's there's plenty, you know, it's, it's a little cliche, but how many, you know, how many great artists are, are stuck at an Applebee's right now? Right. And then they don't they don't have the opportunity to show that genius to the world. Right. And that doesn't mean. You know, and then conversely, how many people are in MFA programs that just don't have the touch, right? But they're going to they're gonna bash their head against the wall and they'll end up being successful in writing some books, but none of them are writing Ulysses, mm. right? Because it's just not in them. And that doesn't mean the book's not in them. It means either the skill or the, the wherewithal or the, I, I don't know, I don't know what that thing is that I'm, that I'm trying to talk about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so where, where, where does that come from? Or is it not real? Strikes me as maybe similar to that
0: episode we did about that Stephen King quote like, how you can't make a good writer a great writer, great writers are born that way, or something. To that effect, you guys remember that
1: you can mm-hmm. like yeah. you can
0: make a okay writer good, but you can't make a good writer great. Something like that. Something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah.
0: But then Aaron, I feel like you balked at that
1: idea. I did. Yeah, and I even when you just said that break when you said like Joyce was the only person who could write, and you least remember them I, I think my back then I was like, no, that's not true. And now that I'm hearing again, I think I'm still I see what you're saying, but I do think that that like it it becomes this borderland of like does. Not like a like a sort of tapping into like a speed force of writing genius, but like it makes it so that that text is just woven to that specific experience of life, I guess. And
2: but it but it is.
1: Yeah, no, that's why I'm saying I see your point. But it what you said about the Albies thing too is like yeah, but someone could have written Ulysses in a different way. Like someone could have written a text that's just as good, if not better, than Ulysses that we don't know about. Someone, but not any. Right? Because like it's it's not. Ulysses wasn't out there in the ether waiting to be written by someone and Joyce just happened to tap into that. But I don't think that well, yeah, I don't I don't think that weighing that work by this was the work of like a lone genius who just happened to to tap in to figure this thing out and sort of execute this, it denies, I think, the what creativity really looks like, which is just like often hard work mm-hmm. and and it's luck right um, it's luck too like just like being in the right time in the right place and having it discovered
3: sure having the idea in the first place
1: yeah nico you were to say something earlier i think i cut you off
3: i think it's a it's a hard no for me it's uh <laughs> <laughs> it's it's i don't i don't believe that there's genius that just without effort like manages to create I mean, I think there are some geniuses. I don't think they're writing geniuses. I think there's like musical geniuses, you know, if you're compo- if you're Mozart composing a symphony when you're four years old, fine, you're a genius. But for most people it takes decades of practice, you know, whether that's Zadie Smith. Whether that's like visual art or or writing. Like so so I uh, like in terms of visual art, I follow a lot of tattoo artists on Instagram and one of their kind of running jokes is when somebody tells you you're talented you say uh, it's not talent it's practice it's not uh, it's not that I'm a, a drawing genius I've just drawn every day for thirty five years right and I think there's a lot more of that in writing than a lot of writing teachers or a lot of writers acknowledge or even understand especially mm. like when you like MFA programs or creative writing programs, there's a lot of that kind of stuff where it's taught in a mystical way. And it's taught in that way that that like so I've been listening to a lot of master classes by writers. And there's a couple of different styles and a pretty common one and a, a pretty common one that we've all had in pretty common style of teaching that we've all had in, in classes is the person who says things like Let your characters surprise you. Your characters are not chess pieces. They are wind-up toys. They've got to have their own life. That's all complete horseshit. And it's completely, as far as I'm concerned, it's 100% just people who don't understand their own process of writing. Hmm. And I think that idea of letting your character surprise you is the feeling of just having a good idea that fits both your character and your plot. It's not that your fucking character has a life of their own or has their own has their own thoughts or has their own emotions. They they are not a real person and they're not coming up with. Yeah, they're not separate from you by themselves. Yeah. You are creating that, and I mean whether it help if it helps you to think of them as not to- as a, as their own person, I guess. But I I don't think it's a helpful way to teach writing because it relies too much on the this kind of the, this this idea that of inspiration or of something coming to you that through through you that uh, isn't isn't from you, but it is from you. It's all—it's all from you. That you're
0: just like a medium,
3: right? That, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've just had—you know—it used to be divine inspiration.
1: Oh, I touched with the muse. I feel like that—that that advice is what it really boils down to, though. Is just you try—you sit down and you write something, and then you like follow a quirk of an idea and see what happens to it, and then you keep revising it until it does work, right? Like the right. the your characters will act on their own. Is just you you do the work of writing and then follow the path that is most interesting to you.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that that advice is is often misdelivered and misinterpreted. Yeah. And it's it's more intended to be like don't if you just focus on the plot and and how the character relates to the conflict, then you're gonna have a shitty character, right? And it, it's not it's not like let them breathe and like wait for them to come out of the ether and climb into your head and tell a story, right? It's like don't write. Don't just write a fucking plot. Like, if you're gonna write a book, like characters need to be dimensional. They need to. They obviously don't come up with their own thoughts, but you need to come up with what their thoughts are in order for them to be believable characters, right? And and that's not an easy thing to do. I'm not sure that's the same. I'm not I'm not doing a good job of explaining what I'm trying to talk about. I
3: well, I think that. I think it's it's in the same kind of sp- on the same spectrum, and I think it it's also uh, like, do you think that there are. Such thing as a perfect book or a perfect work.
1: Nope. Yeah, I would say no. Nope.
3: I mean, I think that's no. That's also helpful to see. You know, like see, like even even with something that you really like, it's not perfect and it's not completely without flaw because yeah, there have to be.
2: I think that there. I don't know, maybe it's a brain structure thing. I
3: have no idea. If if
2: I had played tennis every day of my life and gotten really expensive coaches from my parents and whatever, I might have been a pretty good tennis player. I might even have made it into the pros, right? But there's nothing I could do to become Roger Federer, right? And I, and I think that's besides just being Roger Federer or being Rafa Nadal or whatever, right? Or being someone else, like there's there's luck involved in that. And there's also something else, like weird genetics or something. And I think that's true. It's true with those four-year-olds that create symphonies. And it's true with authors who are able to take whatever amount of time and practice and whatever and hone it into something different and special and unlike, like it's easy to copy a a book right and write a very good book that is structurally like ulysses or structurally like whatever it is hard to write the next one and i think part of the problem with what's going on in literary novels and everyone else is everyone's always fucking chasing that but they're it's not chaseable it's not something you can strive for it's something either you're gonna create and get lucky enough that it takes off or not, you know?
0: So great writers are born and not made.
2: Both, right? Because if you're born a great writer and you don't know how to fucking write, then you're never no, you're never going to write, right? So like you have, you it takes work. It takes dedication. It takes, you know, all those, all those writers that we still talk about now, they spent their whole lives toiling on that shit. There's very few people that were just like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to write my retirement novel and become, like that doesn't happen, right? Like they're, you know, Joyce, Tobias Wolfe, Hemingway, like that was their life. All they did was write, right? So, I mean, yeah, they were made, but also there's, there's something about them, whether it's inside them or their upbringing or the culture they were brought up in or whatever that allowed them to separate themselves from the pack.
0: Right. So, like you said, Fetter, like Federer could have gone, he could have become an insurance agent instead. He had to have the combination of being... Born yep. that way and putting in the work, yeah. Develop well,
1: yeah. Like the mm-hmm. yeah. with sports, like certain genetic properties, like physical properties of your body, make that sort of difference. So, like if you're like taller, like if you're if you're five foot four, then basketball probably isn't your future. Whereas if you're like six ten, then like maybe it is, depending on other factors too.
2: But then, same with the brain, though, right? Yeah. So, is there something that just allows people to understand linguistics in a way like you know? I can spend If we all sat down and said, everyone needs to write a paragraph about a cloud, and we wrote that same paragraph over and over and over and over again for a month, none of us would probably come up with something as good as something that's in one of those books. Maybe we would. I I don't know, right? But that's. I feel like there's, there's just some kind of innate ability to see it. Right, where like there's the painters when they're painting, some they can look at something like Monet can look at something and see something else, and then somehow yeah. translate that from his brain to his hand. Right, and like you can you can learn to copy it, but learning to copy it and learning to create it are not the same. Yeah, no,
1: I think that's true. I think that my objection to this line of thinking is that, or it's not even objection, just it's just an addition, is that so much of it depends on how that taste is constructed and who's allowed to have that taste in the first place, right? So there's an alternate timeline sure. where the critics who read Ulysses or read early Joyce, whatever, don't respond to it and he doesn't get the sort of support. And so those works fit into obscurity and all of a sudden they're sort of lost texts that we don't,
2: well, that's, that's what happened to Moby Dick. Right,
1: Right, exactly. So, you know, Moby Dick eventually found its audience, but that wasn't a guarantee. So, so much of what we consider to be sort of genius or like superlative, expressive work is tied to the audience's ability to recognize it and the audience's power. Mm -hmm. So a powerful critic does a lot for a work like that, and it doesn't mean that. That I think you're right. There's probably some, you know, capacity for abstract thinking that uh, allows you to sort of see things in a different way and to to think of narrative or character in different terms. To be like to be Rob Grier and have that kind of thinking is certainly different than than being Stephen King, I guess. But both those writers depend on someone having read those texts and saying this is worth consideration and study mm-hmm. and then those writers being able to articulate that to an audience who then sort of follows their word too like there's so many chains of of context there that it gets hard to figure out who really is responsible for the creation of this that mm-hmm. so the author the author responsible for the text itself but like the reputation of the text and sort of what we bring to it is influenced in other ways too mm-hmm. which is hard to parse
3: so i think of it as as far as that kind of what quality of a writer makes it good i think of it as their sense of story. I mean, I guess there's two there's two different sides. Two different elements I think of of writing like a novel or a long form work, and one is the prose and one is the story. And I think the really good writers have a sense of story that is both personal to them and based on kind of traditional compelling elements of drama and they have a good like and maybe they don't understand, I mean like it seems like a lot of writers don't understand how their ideas come to them or how they decide like what what within them kind of is that taste maker that decides like no this is a this is a good thing to happen now that's that's not a good idea, and then you know writing a book is just ten million of those in a row, and then eventually, if you have a good sense of story, then you write good books, I think. And then that can feel like, you know, especially if you don't understand your own process, it can feel like inspiration.
1: Yeah, Saunders talks about this a lot in Swimming the Pond in the Rain. You guys gotta read this book. He talks a lot about like sort of working on your writing and, and like revising texts and sort of going back to what you're trying to sort of express to your reader is basically practicing talking to your reader. Like, so, like as you read your own work and revise it, you are putting yourself in your reader's shoes to figure out like, what would I, how would I like this? Would this be cool to me? And if you can't answer that question with yes, then you have to go back and change it. And like you're kind of trying to figure out how to surprise yourself and how to find that thing. But it's still going to be subjective to you. It's still going to be sort of like you're just hoping the audience will will click with it. It's one thing that like I think is interesting about when I think about sort of wanting to write again and and trying to like maybe sort of circulate some stories and see them get published. I always think of like, well, is this story good enough or ready to go? and the answer is always just like i don't know i have no idea i don't know how anyone's gonna take this they're probably gonna hate it or maybe they won't who i can't tell and you just have to just like i don't know like throw the dart and then see what happens with it and maybe your most mediocre work becomes the most celebrated somehow and you're surprised i mean you hear people talk all in any medium or any kind of you know form of expression they're like yeah people really like this album of mine and i think it sucks or whatever and that's just the way the audience finds you or maybe not. Maybe you're, you're the thing that you th- find most compelling about your work is what hits and maybe nothing hits. Mm-hmm. And it's just that, that, that sort of the randomness of that or the the chaos of that is uh, daunting to me.
0: Yeah. It also feels like that might imply an awareness of what your audience is that I'm not sure
3: is always
1: yeah accessible. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think Saunders would say that you have to decide that for yourself and then just hope they're out there basically.
3: Yeah. I I think mm. kind of like that, that passage that Aaron Mentioned like it has to be yourself and it because otherwise what the fuck are you going to do like how how are you going to tell yeah it's not it's not you
1: i think that you all should definitely read we should revisit this conversation in light of that book because so much of what he talks about is what we're kind of like touching on here in this conversation too it's I think you will all really like it. You get a lot of it from conversation wise. Well, listeners, uh, where are you in this this debate, this spectrum? Is it even debate? debate? We're not sure. (laughs) Where are you in this conversation about inspiration and expression and creativity and genius and all that kind of stuff? Let us know on Twitter at YakBabies. And you can email us at yakbabiespodcast at gmail.com with those thoughts and ideas. Also, patreon.com slash yakbabies for access to our bonus podcast for $1 a month. You can get all the goodies there. There's Broda bros and games and drafts and drunken mayhem and all our black Man material is there uh, for $1 a month. So we're asking of you. And then tinyurl.com slash is where we have our merch, some shirts, some posters, all designed by brick and all very funny based on inside jokes in the podcast. Check those out. And last thing, tell a, re- a friend about this podcast. Tell someone you trust. Or maybe you don't trust. Actually, I don't care. Tell someone as long as they <laughs> want to listen to the podcast. Someone who loves books, loves talking about them, who loves talking about other topics too, into presidents, whatever it is. Let them know the Yak Babies is out there and grow the audience. Until then, Yak Babies yakking off.
2: The Yak Babies would like to thank all their loyal listeners and especially their patrons, both past and present, including Michael, Bonnie, Sebastian, David, Roger, Kathleen, Bailey, Andrew, and William Howard Taft. Oh.